chapter 34 so I don't know what I should do whether I should just read maybe it's a lot maybe I won't um, let me just read a few verses here and then I'll make a few comments uh, verse 1 <clears throat> draw near O nations to hear and give attention O peoples let the earth hear and all that fills it the world and all that comes from it for the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction and has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, the stench of their corpses shall rise, the mountains shall flow with their, with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine like leaves falling from the fig tree. Okay, we'll stop there. <clears throat> My uh, the commentator really says that Isaiah 34, come on in, Greg. Isaiah 34 and 35. See if, uh, if uh, Scott wants to come in. Maybe they don't want to participate today. You guys come on in. Let's go. to tuck it out. Uh, so the com my commentator said that really chapters 34 and 35 should be really treated as a unit, which we're not going to do. We'll take 34 today and 35 next time. But 34, <clears throat> he named as a productive garden that's turned into a desert. And 35 he named as a desert that's turned into a garden. So we have that kind of play going on here in these two chapters. <clears throat> Basically, in reading this and looking at it and studying it, um, I mean, I really think this is end time stuff. This is eschatological stuff. I don't, I don't see, I don't see that we can find any real historical fulfillment here yet. And uh, we'll look up a few passages also in Revelation. Uh, to show that uh, John picked up some of this language from Isaiah in Revelation also. So, I mean, that's basically what I, where I think it's coming from. So, all right. <clears throat> um, verse 1, Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. So, this is a message to the whole world, although... We'll see here in a few verses that he he identifies Edom as the as the focus, <laughs> and Edom is the descendants of Esau. Right, they're all the descendants of Esau. They live south of Jerusalem. They live south of the Dead Sea. It's not too far from Petra. Actually, it's a, it, it's not the same, but. Not too far from that, so it's down south in that area, but they were a thriving, uh, you know, nation at one time. Okay, so that uh, 
So I'm just going to say that this is a message for the whole world. Even though he uses Edom, I think, as a type. We'll see more about that later. Okay, verse 2. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations. Well, there it is. And furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction and has given them over for slaughter. Um, well, the refusal to follow God on the part of the nations or individuals, you might say, uh, leads to our destruction. I mean, that's, uh, that's the problem. I mean, it could be, you know, terrible, massive destruction, or it could just be just cultural destruction, just everything falling apart uh, because people are not following Christ. And if they're not following Christ, they're following something else, you know. And uh, so we get the sort of civilizational collapse, I think, that we see in the United States now because evidently there's a, a majority of people that are not giving much thought to Christ and so forth. So it's a problem. Verse 3, and if someone would look up for me, please, Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17, and we'll let you read that. Uh, Revelation 6, 12 through 17, let me read 3 and 4. So this is the world now. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. So, if someone has that Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17, please. 12 through 17? Yes. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit, when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and every slave, free, uh, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, quote, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Yeah. So John picks some of this language up from the book of Isaiah, particularly the skies shall roll up like a scroll. I mean, that's just a quote out of Isaiah, basically. So John is using this language. That's why it seems to me that this is talking really about the end of the age more than one specific historical event that we can point to. And I'll say more about that in a minute. Uh... Well, uh, uh, okay. As always, in every generation, we see signs of the end. So the end is near, the end is near. Well, probably the end is near, but, you know, how near is near? <laughs> so we don't really know. Um, the host of heaven shall rot away. In Isaiah, he says, the host of heaven is not only the physical stars, but in paganism, the gods whom the ancients worshipped, they thought that the stars represented some of these gods. So another layer of uh, teaching here would be that all these false gods are coming down. They're coming down. And uh, 
all the false religions that uh, men are trusting in are, are going to be revealed as a sham. Uh, this happens all the time in Eastern Eastern religions that uh, are being picked up by you know practitioners in the U.S. and you know a lot of times their lives just end up in disaster and they see that this was a fraud you know and, and so forth. But uh, so I'll stop there. Does anybody have anything here yet? Well, this uh, opening statement where at least my translation says "you nations." Seems like he's he's talking about all the nations, yeah. Um, not anyone in particular. And of course, in modern times, we think that is a nation state. Uh, in biblical terms, it was just people groups. Okay. So that speaks of um, the division of mankind. And he's going to bring down all nations. Right. You know, he's he's eliminating the division of mankind, which leaves the new nation where no nation existed before. Those that are in Christ. The, the true pluribus human of the church, you know, the worldwide church. Well, well, good point. All right. Okay, well, let's go on to verse 5. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom. Now, there, there's where it shows up. Upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword, it is sated with blood, it is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys and rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Uh, let's read verse 7. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their souls shall be gorged with fat. Um, again, I think from what I've been reading here, uh, Edom or Esau basically is representing the nations here. Why Edom particularly? Really, from Genesis to Malachi, Edom is treated as the antithesis of Israel. It's always Edom against Israel. And the Edomites never had a good feeling about Israel. As you remember, when the Jews were wandering in the wilderness, they wanted to pass through the land of Edom. They said, we won't we won't eat your food. We'll pay for our food. We'll do, you know, just, just let us pass through. They said, no way. So Edom did not let, allow Israel to pass through on the Exodus. And later than this is written, they rejoiced, I think, with the Babylonians at the destruction of Jerusalem and even participated in it. So Edom is just a type of opposition to the people of God. I mean, they did, Edom was that way, but I think they represent the whole opposition to the people of God. Yeah, an enemy of God's people, an enemy of God. That's right. It's a type here, I think. Uh, and I'll say a little bit more here. Um, so, Edom is treated as the antithesis of Israel, or the antithesis of the people of God. Um, verses 6 and 7. Bozrah in verse 7. Let's see here. Yeah, verse 6. In Bozrah, B-O-Z-R-A-H, I have. This is the modern town of Busera, or Basira. It still exists. It's 20 miles southeast of the lower end of the Dead Sea. So it's 
down south there. It is located in the modern nation of Jordan. Uh, it's still a town. So, in other words, when he talks about all of this blood and stuff in Bozrah, I mean, they have wars and stuff during history and all of that. In other words, it, it seems to me it hasn't really happened yet. I mean, the town is still standing. The people have not been slaughtered. It's a prophecy about the time of the end. And these towns and cities are used to represent the nations, the world, and so on. Okay, everybody's with me, I think. Yeah. There's a future event. I believe it's going to be future, yes. Yes. Have they talked about Basra on the knees? Are they used to? I don't know. Yeah, I've heard the name Basra. Well, maybe we could go over and visit. Basra Straits or Basra something. All right. Okay. Let's go on. Yeah, go on. No kidding. So many people don't believe that. Oh, he's just a big friend and so friend of every everybody, friend of everything. Okay with it all. I'm okay, you're okay. Might just be walking into a trap, Could be. God might be calling you an enemy. Could be. Well, okay, Bozra is Basira, and it's south of the Dead Sea. This passage speaks of bloody sacrifices, but evidently people are also included. So there's a big slaughter, not only of animals, but evidently of people. I don't think it's happened yet. We, however, trust in the Redeemer's sacrifice, as in Isaiah 53. We don't have to read it. You'll probably quote it, but it's a very famous passage. So we're quoting in the sacrifice and death of the Redeemer for us, Otherwise, we might have to pay ourselves. It, I mean, it's just a, you know, just a scene of slaughter and so forth here in Scripture. Okay, <clears throat> verse eight: For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. So God does have this day that's coming down again. I think this is eschatology here, end of the age. God has a timetable in which he's going to put everything right. As in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. So let's go to Matthew. God has a timetable. What was that chapter? Matthew 24, beginning at verse 36. Okay, I'll read it. Uh, this is the end here, time of the end. <clears throat> but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the sun. Now it's interesting to listen to some of these prophecy guys. And uh, as Katie knows, I get my prophecy filled every Sunday after church, listen to some of these guys. And the thing I, it wears me out a little bit about these guys is they try to take the day's headlines, every day's headlines, and say, well, prophecy is being fulfilled. You know, this is all prophecy being fulfilled. I mean, it's been going on since the 1920s or 1880s or something. I mean, how could every headline of every newspaper, you know, herald the, the coming of Christ? I mean, maybe it does in some way, but they work it out with Scripture and all that. But it gets a little wearing on one to listen to this stuff a long time. Chris? Well, I was just going to 
just share a little anecdote. I, I've got this neighbor at work that works beside me. His office is right by mine. And uh, without fail, if there is anything remotely in the news about Israel or Netanyahu or anything, anything, anything even on the radar of Israel, if anything happens over there, he thinks that's it. It's that's over. it. I mean, Jesus it's all over. over. It's all over. <laughs> Yeah. Sell your goods yeah, and move to the mountaintop. He, he's probably, no, he's a little older. He's, he's probably 50. He's early 60s. Yeah. He's been into that movement a long time. Yeah. yeah. Connor. In the okay. last chapter, in the last chapter, uh, we heard a warning against focusing on the rumors of bloodshed. And said that person isn't ready to stand in the presence of Wonderful. So Wonderful. Just focus it. Doesn't say participating in the bloodshed. It says listening to it, fulminating over it. Right. So that's a warning against Wonderful. these sort of doomsday preachers that focus on current events. Yeah. You know, it's hard to maintain a pure mind. I mean. Yeah. And I guess that's the warning of Scripture. I need to practice that more. Well, there are definitely evangelical churches that are so focused on this eschatology that they actually saw it happen and it didn't work out the way they wanted to. They wouldn't believe it. It would totally blow their faith. <laughs> you know, they're, they're grounded in eschatology, not in Christ. Well, you got a point. You got a point. Yeah. Well, let's read. This is Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Well, there it is. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. It seems to me the time of the end, if it's the days of Noah, number one, it's a rampant unbelief. You've only got a small number believing. And it's kind of, there's kind of a hyper-normality about it. In other words, everything is normal. I mean... People are marrying, people are buying goods, they're going to work. I mean, it's normal, 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 and Christ comes back, you know. <clears throat> For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, see. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay away. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. I love that. What is the vocation that God has given you to do? What is your ministry? I don't know. You know. Blessed are you if the Lord finds you doing your ministry when he comes. Wow. The one's taken out of the unfaithful, right? Uh, I think the ones taken. I think the ones taken out are the faithful, and the ones left are the unfaithful. It seems. I think not. I think it's the other way around. They're they're taken up to meet Christ in the air. 
the, I know that we beat Christ through the ass. Well, they're taking the I don't think I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. What was the verse again? I'm sorry. Uh two women uh forty one. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken, one left. Matthew twenty four. Third beginning at verse thirty six. Uh, it's beginning at verse 36 to the end of the chapter. Uh, okay, verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Let me encourage you. No matter how grim the situation may appear and how what an unbelieving world we may live in, you have a blessing from God if you continue to do what He's called you to do. I don't know what He's called you to do, but if you if you know it and are doing it, fantastic. We just keep doing it. That's all. That doesn't, that doesn't just go for these times either. No, anytime. Dennis, Dennis had a story about a long time uh, member here. I think it was uh, Alice's father. Oh, okay. Alice uh, Bryson's father. Yeah. Uh, who was a, a mighty woman of faith, yeah. uh, and uh, she died. She was elderly. She died, and then she had died in her sleep, uh, in her, or at least in bed. And there she was with her little prayer book. I want to share. Where she yeah. kept, you know, yeah. everybody's prayer needs. So you know, she was. So she could, uh, you know, mightily pray for them. So she, God caught her she doing was, what she was supposed. She was to do. doing her ministry to the very end. Beautiful. Uh, verse 47, I'm going to read the rest of it. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. This looks like rewards in heaven here. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, ah, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there is something to the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. I mean, I believe that Christ preserves us, but we must also persevere. Is everybody happy so far? Craig's moderately happy, okay. <laughs> Craig is content. Okay. Oh, that's, that's not going to be a fun day for anybody. No. Believe it or not. No. Think about it. Yeah, that's going to be quite blissful. Unless we're so overcome with the beauty of Christ that it doesn't matter. I don't think it'll matter at that point. Uh, <clears throat> Alright, let's go to verse... I'm going to read verse 8 again. For the Lord has a day of vengeance and a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Um... Again, I would just say for this particular area of the geography, this hasn't happened yet. Therefore, it, it, it's future here. It's eschatological language. 
uh, verse 10, Night and day it shall not be quenched, its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste, none shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it, the owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. It's, it's nobles, there is no one there to call it a kingdom, and all its princes shall be nothing. Again, in verse 10, uh, its smoke shall go up forever. Uh, there's a couple of Revelation passages. Uh, Connor, if you would check out Revelation 14, 9 through 12. And uh, if someone would look up Revelation 19, 1 through 3, again, John picks this language up. Revelation 1? I can tell you. I can tell you. 14, 9 through 12. 14, 9 through 12. Go ahead, Connor. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead and on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Yeah. Again, John just picks up this language from Isaiah here in terms of this end time prophecy. Another one is Revelation 19, 1 through 3, if someone has that. After these things I heard a loud voice of great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her again they said hallelujah her smoke rises up forever and ever yeah so that's what John's doing he's reading Isaiah and using it uh, in verse 11 go ahead well uh, you may be about to say this go ahead <laughs> maybe not <laughs> uh, it's true of Babylon even now the city is basically rubble. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, I think a few hundred people who kind of live, sort of live there. They live close, but not really in, uh, the, in that area. It's not a city, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not like a, a, a town with a government or anything. Uh, Saddam Hussein actually tried to rebuild it. I was, it I was not get far. I was worried about that, that it might. <laughs> It might uh, go against biblical for prophecy. All, for all his oil money, he did not get. He very didn't far. get very far. He put up like one building, old Mesopotamian. And it's out. It's really out, overlooking that rubble, out, kind of on a hill over there, that building he put up. But which anyway, town? Which town is it? Uh, Babylon. Oh, Babylon. Okay. Oh, Babylon. Uh, the ancient city. <laughs> yeah. What was the difficulty? Why couldn't you build it? You probably said because uh, God was against it. Well, what? <laughs> <twice. laughs> Yes. That's why. Yeah, in what way did God work that? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the details. All I know is it was all. It didn't. It didn't get. It didn't get very far. His rebuilding of Babylon didn't get very far. Every construction company called. We don't want any part of this. We don't want any part of this. Okay. In verse eleven. 
he talks about the plumb line of emptiness being stretched over it and so forth. Plumb lines usually used for construction or building, but here to bring confusion and emptiness, end time judgment. Um, all right, let's go to verse 13. Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be a haunt of jackals, an abode for ostriches, and wild animals shall meet with hyenas. The wild goat shall cry to his fellow. Indeed, there the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. This language sounds a lot like Babylon in, in Revelation. It's, it's, again, we're kind of interpreting things here. But it seems that Edom is being used kind of as a type of the world here, uh, the world system, as in John in, in a Revelation is using Babylon is that in other places of scripture too is that type yeah okay um, verse 15 there the owl, owl nests and lays and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow indeed there the hawks are gathered each one with her mate seek and read from the book of the Lord not one of these shall be missing None shall be without her mate, for the mouth of the Lord has commanded, and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation they shall dwell. They shall dwell in it. Verse 16 then, uh, we have a triple witness to the truth of what Isaiah is saying. Number one, read it in the book. So here we are, we're reading. Uh, Secondly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Um, I'm not sure exactly, but the, the mouth of the Lord issues decrees. I mean, when the Lord speaks, it's done. It's, it, it, it is done. No, we might say no, no, no. Sorry, it, it's done if, when the mouth of the Lord speaks. So we read it. I'm not sure about exactly the mouth of the Lord, but we can see what God has said here in the book. It's going to be sure. And his spirit has gathered them. So uh, the Holy Spirit of the Lord also fills us and works with us in our daily life to understand, perhaps, his word and to do his will. So we have a triple witness, the word of the Lord, the mouth of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a Trinitarian approach here. And I believe... That is all I have on Isaiah 34, but if you have uh, some comments here, I, I would be happy to hear that. That last bit of the prophecy is one that we cannot understand. About the birds and the Oh, I know. The birds. Yeah, and that. Yeah. That's for another time. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is end time stuff. I, I really think it's mysterious. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, you can't speak unless you have a mouth. Okay. Hard to speak though. There you go, Connor. I can, since we have time, I can throw out something. Go ahead. Just, uh, for the sake of discussion. Go ahead. Make his chuckle. All right. So indeed, the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. Tells. That is in, That is a word that only shows up once and they don't know how to translate it based on the fact that it's other animals mentioned they just kind of gave it a general animal 
took a guess at it. <laughs> left it alone. Yeah. But where does Lilith? Yeah. All right. So, so Lilith. Yeah, so, that's what I thought. All right. The story of Lilith is a is a parable for Edom. This is a prophecy against Edom, right? You've already said that this is yeah. about Edom as a representation yes. of the rest of the world. Yes. Right. So Edom. Edom was um, was of the same generation as Jacob, right? And had the birthright and rejected it and scorned it. Right. And that is the story of this folk tale of this woman who, by the way, has red hair. What does the name Edom mean? He's red. So this 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 woman in this folk tale rejects rejects her birthright and is a source of contention between herself and Adam. She right. was supposed to have showed up in the garden, right? Somehow. She was Adam's first wife. Oh. Right. This is a folk tale. This is not in Genesis, right? But God is using this word for a reason because Lilith is a Lilith is a warning to Edom. Right? It's a it's a warning. It's a it's a folk tale that existed at the time that God is using to make a particular point. She's a deceiver that right. Right. And in the story she ends up being the source of well, Edom ends up being the source of a lot of troubles for Israel. Yeah. Right? They're coming sure. up from Egypt into the Promised Land, and Edom doesn't want to let them through. Yeah, that's true. Right? There's this yeah. constant striving back and forth. Exactly. And that's the story of this tale, is there's this constant fighting back and forth between this woman and Adam, this woman who's rejected her birthright yeah. in a real way. So. Thank that you. conflict goes on uh, yes. up to Christ facing Herod. Yeah. And Edom. I'm going to write this in my Bible because I, I had seen that before, but that's good. When we come up on these, these weird stories and these weird folk tales, and, and, and we dismiss them and say, well, this isn't in Genesis, so we're just going to throw this out. It misses the point of why these stories exist in the first place. But God himself is using this to make a point about him. It's honestly almost not that much different than, than Paul using uh, the philosophy. Uh, I forget, I think it's in Acts or in Corinthians where he quotes a philosopher of the Greeks. Yeah. And that's one. There's another where he's oh, uh, in here we live and move and have our being. That's yes. not that's not a biblical phrase. That's that's a that's a that's, that's a, a poetic pagan, pagan, pagan poetic phrase. Pagan poetic phrase, but God redeems it by yeah, putting yeah, it in yeah. the mouth of Paul. Like <laughs> he quotes uh, another poet says Cretans are always evil yes. being slow. Lazy So I mean it's it's not uncommon for God to use these these folk tales or these. Well if these people are, if people are speaking the truth, it's yeah. the truth. I mean. the, a lot of those quotes they say poets, but they were they were parts of Greek plays. I think there's another kind of interesting angle to this whole Jacob Esau thing. Esau had reason not to trust Jacob. Uh, no kidding. And, you know, uh, it's, it's a truism of the world that people don't give up ancient patrons. Um, but they're, they're losing the fact that they made up when they met up again later on after, after Jacob flees and then they meet up again and they embrace yes. all as well. Yeah. But that was that was not Esau making up with Jacob. That was Esau making up with Israel. 
and this is a new thing now. Uh, and so, you know, as, as the centuries go on, it seems like the Edomites are clinging to that Jacob thing and not to the Israel thing. Uh, you know, this, this is a changed people. This is God's people now. And our blessing will be found in their blessing. They didn't say uh, But they didn't. They, they no. stuck with the old hatreds no, instead. No, they didn't say it. It's, it's interesting, though, too, because, you know, you, you mentioned this. And that's a, it was a story that people saw, that people knew at that particular time. It just is a more confirmation that God speaks where we are. So He is current. He doesn't, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's currently involved in life. And a lot of people forget that. You know, kind of think God is indifferent, you know, he's far away. But he, he, is, he is aware. He's near. He's aware that there's a bargain to be out there. You know, He knows it. You know, so, so, you, know, you don't get anything past it. And He can. Speaks to us. He's speaking within the context of where we are. All right. Well, thank you for your attention today. We'll stop here. Until the next time. Okay.